Hey, Friday Night Lights fans. It's Not Only Football, Friday Night Lights and Beyond is an episode-by-episode discussion of the hit TV series Friday Night Lights, hosted by yours truly, Scott Porter, who played Jason Street on the show, and my two wonderful co-hosts, me, Zach Guilford, a.k.a. Matt Saracen, and me, Mae Whitman, a.k.a. Someone who wasn't on the show but really, really loves it a lot. We will also bring on some special guests, answer your questions, and tell you about what's going on in our lives today. So join us every Thursday starting November 10th on It's Not Only Football, Friday Night Lights and Beyond, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose! Magnesium, you're probably not getting enough. Four out of five Americans are not. Problem, because magnesium is involved in many of our biological processes, the most common sign to look for that could indicate magnesium deficiency, well, let's say you're anxious, irritable, uh, insomnia. These are signs. Uh, and it, even if you don't have those signs, you might be benefited from some magnesium replacement. Muscle cramps, uh, yeah, constipation, all these things, they're, uh, of course, they're caused by other things also. But you might try magnesium. Dozens of symptoms. Not, here's why most people don't know that just taking a magnesium supplement will not solve your problem because, you know, we use the cheap Magnesium, it doesn't necessarily replace what your body needs. So Magnesium Breakthrough, the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement, seven unique forms of magnesium, that can really help your body use and absorb. Best part is the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough by Optimizers are having a Black Friday special. November 21st to 29th, you can get not only Magnesium Breakthrough, but all the by Optimizers best-in-class products with 25% off. Just go to buyoptimizers.com slash Drew and enter code Dr. Drew to get 25% off any order. That's D-R-D-R-E-W. This is the best time to stock up on the products you love and try new ones. All Buy Optimizer supplements are best in class. If for some reason you feel differently, you get a full refund, no questions asked. They are so confident they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And hey, if you arrived here late and missed the special offer, don't worry. There is always 10% off for the Dr. Drew podcast listeners with the code Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W. But if you just arrived in time, again, go to that link, exclusive Black Friday offering starting November 21st. It is buyoptimizers.com slash Drew with code Dr. Drew. Do it while supplies last, and don't miss that November 29th deadline. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, again, thank you all for being here. Thank you for supporting the show. Do check out the streaming shows Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 3 o'clock Pacific time. Particularly Wednesday show is getting a lot of heat. We're talking to the controversial figures uh, in medicine and what people have to say and trying to take that all on and see what's real and what's not and what's there to be learned. So trying to put the pieces back together from what we've all just been through here. Uh, let's see. What else, Gary? Anything else I need to promote or get people on board with? Uh, no, I, I would say just make sure you're subscribed to the show and uh, listening every week. Did I send you Mark McDonald's name, by the way, Dr. Mark McDonald? Yes. Okay. that's a, He's a psychiatrist that's got some interesting ideas. He's, con- again, another controversial dude, but I'm going to bring him in here. I talked to him on the streaming show, and I think you guys will like that. So stay stay tuned for lots of great guests coming up. Today is no exception. Lisa Guerrero is here. The book is Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. It's available now on pre-order. I suggest you get it now if you're a Lisa fan, which I am. Um, let's just say you thought you knew Lisa. <laughs> that, should, <laughs> that should be the name of this book. <laughs> LisaGuerrero.com, G-U-E-R-R-E-R-O.com, Twitter and Instagram at 4 Lisa Guerrero. And the, That's just, the number four, Lisa Guerrero. Yes, thank you. Gary. Thank oh, you. Straighten me out wherever you possibly can. <laughs> and uh, just the 
the name Guerrero, which I never thought about, is pertinent to the name of this book. Tell me about that. So um, it was really interesting. I originally called the book Between a Jock and a Hard Place. <laughs> because of Hysterical. my sports background, and then I married an athlete, and I covered sports, and blah, blah, blah. So it was going to be kind of a Chelsea Handler-ish look at a woman in sports, kind mm. of a fish out of water. But then as I kept writing it, and I kept kind of really honestly going back to how I felt um, during a lot of these important you know, moments of my life and career, I discovered that I had gone through a lot of trauma and um, that I was still recovering from a lot of the negativity and the trolling that went on earlier in my career. Um, now I look brave, right? I'm an investigative reporter for, reporter for Inside Edition. I, I chase bad guys. And people consistently say, wow, how can you do that? You look so brave. Um, and I started to feel like I was an imposter, like I'm not really brave. And where did that come from? You know, why – uh, I get why people think I'm, I look like Wonder Woman, right? I've got this big hair and big boobs and I'm running around, you know, <laughs> the TV screen chasing bad guys. So I get that that's the impression, but that's not how I felt. <clears throat> so I started to kind of reexamine why I'm writing the book and and what really did happen to me. And so I went back to when I was eight years old and my mother was 29. So, so I want to start with that. Yeah. So, so before you talk about that original trauma, right. which you and I have talked about, before. A lot yeah. before. Uh, you said something in the book I thought – almost made me cry. It was so profound about your dad. So tell yeah. us, tell that what, what I'm talking – I think you know what I'm talking about. So – Because I always knew your dad was – you know you know I knew your dad was exceptional. Remember I kept yes, you telling we talked, you that. Yes, we've yeah. talked about my dad because yeah. he raised me. He's a social worker. He's the real deal social, social worker, worker, like no yeah. bullshit guy. Yeah. But but I never had th- or thought about it this way for you you didn't have your mom, but you did have your dad. So. Yeah. So when, when I was little and kids realized that I didn't have a mom, which was kind of unheard of that young, um, they would feel sorry for me and they would look at me with pity. And I looked at them with pity because they didn't have my dad. It's incredible. So it was, I, it was traumatic to lose my mother at eight, but the fact that my father was the kind of father that he was, you know, the kind of the original girl dad. Um, and he, origi- he, you know, once my mother, my mother died very uh, quickly. She was 29 years old. She had lymphoma and um, she was diagnosed at Christmas and she was gone by Valentine's day. Ugh. So she was 29. This was 1972. Um, but my dad was a social worker with the Salvation Army and he had done a lot of counseling And he looked at me and he decided that what he was going to do was to put me in grief therapy for children at Balboa Park's Children's Theater. So I went through grief trauma, um, uh, a, a grief trauma experience as a young actor. So they teach kids who have gone through loss how to, um, focus their emotion into a character. So you're almost playing and pretending Mm. and you find a safe space to funnel your grief and your feelings and your emotions into through these characters that you're playing as an actor. So at eight years old, I became an actor and started training, you know, through the method process. You know, there's two different ways of acting, technique and method. This is along the lines of method acting. And so it really gave me a safe... I did. I I started acting when I was... Well, as a kid, you know, I was in all the plays and everything in school, but I got discovered at 15 by uh, a modeling agent at mm-hmm. my high school, 
And she pretty quickly uh, started putting me out on auditions. And I joined SAG-NAFTRA doing a, a national Ford Ranger commercial Ooh, when I was 15. Nice. And immediately started acting, you know, started doing small parts in Matlock, In the Heat of the Night, you know, um, TV series from the 80s. And then, uh, you Did you know, get to meet Andy Griffith? I didn't meet Andy Griffith. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I wasn't in his scenes. Um, but I, you know, I parlayed that into later in my twenties a, a really great career as a model and an, an actress, and finally ended up on Sunset Beach, which was an Aaron Spelling show as a lead, Francesca Vargas, and that kind of launched me into, um, you know, kind of people's living rooms every day. But but it didn't stop there. And how, how did the turn to the NFL world go again. Going back to my dad, um, he discovered quite early that I was very interested in sports, and he was a big sports fan. And he taught me the secret language of sports that other girls didn't know. So um, we lived above. Did he Qualcomm frame it Stadium. that way? Did he frame it that way, or did you think of it that way, or did you look not back on it that way? Not until later. Not until yeah. I realized that I was talking about you know a quarterback controversy when I was in elementary school that other girls didn't know, but mm. the boys did. So, you know, he would take me to Chargers games. We lived above Qualcomm Stadium at the time, Jack Murphy Stadium. And so my first game was a Chargers game. I fell in love with Dan Fouts. And I I told my dad, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a quarterback for the Chargers. Mm -hmm. And he goes, great. Well, you better start practicing. And he went out to the backyard and taught me how to throw a perfect spiral. And it wasn't until years later that I realized, wait a minute, (laughs) girls aren't NFL quarterbacks. Um, But my dad didn't tell me that. Today, they'd put you on testosterone and send you on your way. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) And her career took a sharp right turn. (laughs) So yeah, that's that's kind of what happened. So my dad knew the language of sports. He taught it to me. So when I got older and, and became a model and an actress, I would bring the sports page with me um, into hair and makeup every day. And I would chat with the crew about the Lakers or the Dodgers and before I got on set as a soap opera villainess. And um, at the time, now we're talking, now we're like moving into the 90s, there were no other female sportscasters here in LA with a contract. And I um, had a really great agent who set me up with an interview to be the weekend sports guy for CBS2. Jim Hill is still the you know, the main anchor, but they were looking for a weekend dude. And so he got me an interview and I uh, got that job. So I was the first woman to get a contract here in LA now, for sports. When when I when I got to know you, which was mm-hmm. probably probably during the early nineties, yeah, yeah. There were in my head, I don't know if this is true and I don't know if it's in your head the same way, there were sort of three of you flying around here in a similar kind of a they're not, it's it's unfair to call it similar career tra- trajectories, but I imagine people would have thought of you three together. Do you know who, who I'm thinking of or who did you think um, of as sort of so, in the same zone with you? And, and most of them are, I think, friends of yours now, I think. Yeah, Jillian. So Jillian's number one, I think. Yeah, so Jillian, Jillian was a weather girl, a yeah. weather caster and then morning anchor. But she got on the um, the NFL Fox Yeah. Pre, you know, pre, with Terry yes. and, and at, the, at the time Jim Brown, those yep. guys, JB. And so she was, you know, a very uh, uh, well known national figure but, at that but, point but in you, sports. But you were both, I always thought you were blazing the same trail. It yep. felt like the same thing to me. Yeah, I think people yeah. thought of us as attractive or sexy or kind of body 
funny. Yeah, but but sports had chicks. something to had something to offer at the table. It was not just oh, why are they in there? It's right. like no, there's somebody, and that was the first time that it really happened. It didn't seem yeah. So and and it was and by the way, you look forward to you guys. You know what Thank I mean? Because you. you guys were funny and interesting and would add something to the And the we were dynamic. at Fox at the same – I was on Best Damn Sports Show when she was on that. So. Well, that's the other person I'm thinking about. Uh, uh, Leanne. Leanne Tweeden, exactly. But she wasn't a sports person. At least she wasn't at the time. She was originally hired to be um, a model I, to I, come I, on and do the sketches. Right. And yet she ended up on the, at the dais too, right? Didn't she end up on the – She yeah. did. She did. And she – you know, I, I have mixed feelings about what happened with her. I don't even know. Because – you know, and I write about this in my book, um, and I write extensively about um, what happened at Fox Sportsnet, Best Damn Sports Show, and Monday Night Football on ABC. But this this kind of point in time, first of all, there couldn't be another show like Best Damn Sports Show, period, again today. It just wouldn't be allowed. But at the time, it was kind of the a man cave. It was like a dude show. And like the man show, it was like a bunch of dudes sitting around in a basement talking about sports. They allowed one girl in the clubhouse, and that was me. I was the original you know, co-host and update anchor for Best Damn Sports Show. And, and it was Tom? Tom who, who? Arnold. It was, so it was Chris Rose was the yeah. host, Tom Arnold, yeah. um, John Sally, Michael Irvin, and John Cruck. Yeah. So that was the original first couple of seasons. And um, I would you know, trot up and down to the update desk and do live sports updates every 12 minutes for three minutes throughout the night from, from 3 to midnight. But in this two-hour show, which was with a live Nine studio hours, audience. That's crazy. It was – Drew, it was insane. It was insane. It was really hard work. But but you know, throughout this two-hour show, they would do comedy sketches and they would bring in girls mm. to be like lingerie models or dress up in a sexy nurse costume and sit on, you know, Tom's lap and giggle, you know, just, you know, hijinks. And then the next section we'd bring on Shaq and he'd be in studio. And then we'd have, you know, Ben Affleck, you know, promoting it was, it was a movie. A it, was, it was a great it was show. A great show yeah. In many ways. It was also a suck show if you were a woman because it was sucked. sucked. It sucked. It was See, that's you know, the part we if don't you're know. a woman because you the are, setup sucked. That's for sure. But I thought you guys, you know, it's. Funny. I just say something real quick. Yeah, of course. But I, I, I was. We were watching. Uh, my wife and I were watching a sort of a Playboy documentary, and there was all this obvious exploitation going on. And I go, and I said, "Why did you guys put up with that?" And she goes, "It's the only move we had." Your wife is exactly right. Yeah. I love your wife, by the way. Um, she she nails it because, um, for example, when I started in sports. Um, there was an expectation that I needed to look good. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And of course, BetterHelp Online Therapy is something that I've been talking about for quite some time. BetterHelp provides great services. I've been referring patients, friends, family, and I've been very pleased with the services provided there. And no longer, no longer can you really blame stigma or discomfort or you know, worrying about the how to pick the right person. They help you with all of that. And, of course, you know, worrying about meeting somebody in a waiting room. I, I hate that excuse. Don't have it anymore because this is all done through the Internet. And life does not come with a manual, of course. So BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient, secure, accessible anywhere. Therapists are there to help you out, to figure out the causes of challenging emotions, learn productive coping skills, Everyone wants to feel their best, right? You want to be your best, and we work on our body. Why don't we work on our minds? All the benefits of in-person therapy, plus it's more convenient, more accessible, more affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If, if things aren't clicking, you can just easily switch to a new therapist anytime. 
Could not be simpler. And as I said, no waiting rooms, no traffic, no nothing, no excuses. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew. You know, 52% of men over 40 experience some form of erectile dysfunction during their life. And if you have ED, there's help. It's important to you know talk to a doctor about it. ED can be a sign of other things. But Roman provides you the digital health clinic for men, offering genuine FDA-approved medication for as little as $4 per dose. It's cost-efficient. It's time-efficient. And there's no discomfort again, no, no resistance. Why would you just? Why would you just not take care of this? There's no waiting rooms, no hassle. Straightforward, convenient digital experience. Take care of it all from the comfort of your home. Getting started is as simple as just grabbing your laptop or mobile device and start your free online visit with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional who will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman sends it right to your door with free two-day shipping. Everything arrives in discreet packaging. And right now, Roman has a special offer for my listeners. Use this link and get 20% off your first order. Just go to ro.co slash Drew. Pay attention here. That is the letters. ro.co, just not the word dot, but the dot. That's ro.co slash Drew. And you get that 20% off. Do it now. Within that framework, though, I decided, well, okay, I get it. I need to look good, but I'm also going to try to get exclusive interviews with athletes that are saying no to the rest of the media. And so I worked really hard to get exclusive interviews with Gary Sheffield and Kevin Brown and Barry Bonds. Well, let's frame that even a little differently. Mm -hmm. You knew what you – you had this one move to get in. Yeah, I got to look good. You you have one way to end. Be hot. And once you're there, that's where you really have to excel. You have to go way above average sort of in terms of the performance. For 10 yeah. years, yeah. locally, regionally, and then nationally. Yeah. And, and it was you three. I think about you three being the ones that were really – all three of you did that in different ways, very different ways, which is kind of interesting by itself. But you guys were the ones that, that you know paved that cat that, and you paid a price that you're going to tell me about, which I didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the book, the book. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I – Part of me, as I was writing it, was like, okay, I don't want this to be a bitch fest. I don't want this to be about woe is me, these bad things happen to me, misogyny sucks, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it. What I wanted to do was to also explore my role in it. Why did I take those jobs? Why did I dress like that? Why did I put up with some of this so that I could get there? You know, it was constantly – there's not a linear path. You have to take these – It was was the only move. It was the only move. You had no other option. That's if you the, wanted that, to stay. That's the part right. that people have to understand. This all happened in a historical context. And when you are first to the table, you're not sort of given a lot of options by what you can – how you can find your way in. 30 years ago, it was a, a, you know, it was a different yeah. dynamic on television. And Although I think a lot of women are still dealing with some of the misogyny and some of the stuff, 30 years ago, it was um, – there was not a day – when I would walk into uh, the Pico lot for Fox and I was either trying to avoid an executive who was trying to sleep with me, an athlete who was on the set, um, a, uh, a PA who was saying inappropriate things, somebody grabbing my ass. There was not a day. Then, then I would go out and cover the games. So then I'm the beat reporter for the Dodgers, the Lakers, USC football, UCLA hoops, and the Kings. There wasn't a day when I didn't hear something about my tits or somebody grabbing my butt 
or um, some, you know, coworker, some colleague in the media saying something completely inappropriate so about what, what how you, did you get that interview because you got on your knees? Because I would get these exclusive interviews that also made them look bad. Uh, so there was not a day in you know thirty years ago when I just did my job and just you know went to work, did my job, went home without some kind of drama or trauma or some weird dynamic where I'm having to literally hide in the bathroom until this guy walks by so that I could go the opposite way to get to the the parking lot without him propositioning me. And so again, and what, going, and what do you think at the time? What I was just thinking I've got to get through this because I've got to go live on the air yeah. at 1055 with my do. live shot yeah. and I've got to get my three sound bites from Did the, you the compartmentalize? locker room. Did you just, totally. Yeah, yeah. Because you – and it wasn't – and again, going back to why I wrote the book and how I look at it differently now. It was going to be a ha-ha. This was hilarious. Look at all these funny things that oh, happened. No. <laughs> but then when I started to explore, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, this is <laughs> you know, For 30 years, yeah. I went through a lot of – you know, 10 years in sports. But even still today, you know, if, if – if you look on my, you know, Twitter feed, there's going to be somebody that's like, hey, I don't care about, you know, your investigation. Show me your tits. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I'm 58. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> They're okay. But, you know, there's other people that do that for a living. Go go there. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know? Don't, you don't have an OnlyFans. You, you know, right. Exactly. <laughs> the, 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 there's an interesting piece for me, you know, as I've gotten all the years working in mental health and stuff and just trying to open myself to so much in this country that has been unfair and trying to see it from the point of view of people who are the subject or the object of that, whatever that was. Um, and my the scales have fallen from my eyes many, many, many times in the last 10 years. And But one of them is as it pertains to women's f- fear of rape. Like there's, there's a fear all, like every day of an assault – and I don't think men are really, really aware of this. And, and to be presented with this kind of, frankly, very nearly—I mean, you're almost being sexually assaulted. How does that play on that fear? My God, it doesn't. Over time, it becomes um, almost to the point where you need to—you know—it's like PTSD after right, after figured. you know a number of years doing that. Yeah. There is a, a, a thing I write about in the book that was was a really impactful moment. I was early in my sports career. I was at Dodger Stadium. I was walking through um, the visitors' locker room to talk to Tony Larusa after a game. But in order to get to his the manager's office, you have to go through the locker room. And so this is a visiting team. This was when there were very few women covering sports, especially as a beat reporter every day being at the stadium. So I'm walking through with my cameraman, Rodney Hunt, to my left, slightly behind me. And his camera was down because we were just walking to get the interview. And as I start to walk through this locker room, I start to hear these grunts and these I can't describe them other than kind of animal-like um, sounds of these men looking at me making these noises until it kind of got louder and louder. And I realized that I'm in the middle of a group of men who are um, hissing at me, who are making you know mm. these, these noises mm-hmm. and obviously sexual in nature. Mm. And I froze. I stopped halfway through. I couldn't walk and I couldn't move. And Rodney – my uh, cameraman, my amazing cameraman, stopped and he he like stopped my arm because I I had actually frozen and he like grabs my arm and then he hoists up his camera to his shoulder and he turns it on and he turns on the light 
and he sprays, meaning he shoots the entire room. And just like that, they stopped whistling and the cat calls stopped. And Rodney said really loud, loud enough for everybody in that room to hear. He goes, Lisa, that's the power of the media. Mm. You hold the power. Mm. And they didn't make a move. They didn't make a sound. I found my legs and my voice and we went – to so the, that's the, interesting. The thing we did, we conducted our interview. We came back, not one. I had to go back through the locker room on the way back. Yeah. Not one of them even looked at me or said one word. They would look down in shame, Yeah, in fact. Yeah. And I walked out. Um, and that just taught me an enormous lesson about the power of being seen. And, and you know, these guys think they do this in the dark, in the shadows. And when you expose them to the light of the camera and the physical, like literal light, they stopped. And it was a huge, it was a huge impactful moment for me. And sadly, Rodney died of COVID. Um, and I, I had always wanted my cameraman, and I'd always wanted to thank him for what he taught me that day. We worked together for a while, and he was so lovely. But um, it was one of my great regrets that I wasn't able to tell him how important that moment was mm. for me and how it changed my life. And may have changed their lives, those men as well. There is so much packed into that story. Okay. Can I go into yeah, it a little please, bit? Please, please. So isn't it interesting now your job is to go after these assholes and bring them into the light, <laughs> right? It's, full it's mostly men, right? It's, mostly men. Know, Some almost. women, but yeah, mostly men. So isn't that interesting? But but you started with the notion of courage, yeah. that it takes courage to do that. And, and you sort of wanted to diminish that a little bit because you said you felt a little um, impostery with that. Yeah. But, but, it, but it is a – you know, the way you deal with trauma, the, the fundamental feature of trauma is helplessness. And to feel empowered in the face of trauma is everything, as you're telling us. And but to take that and then parlay it forward is fantastic. I must feel good, but I guess the reason you feel a little impostery is because you still have the trauma, right? And you did something when you were telling the story, which I didn't know you did, which is you dissociated. I don't know if you're aware. You can you very flexibly dissociate, and almost made me think. Mm, I wonder if that's back to the back to the play. Stuff mm, back in the day, the yeah, because you could really just phase out and bring something else forward. That leaves you with some material that you can't access very well, or it's too painful to access. And and I'm guessing that's where the depression came from. I think so, because you know, over time, you have to be careful you, you, with that. You have to be careful with dissociation. Are you, you where you do down. that? You, yeah, I, I am. mean, you, you like literally, I can see it in your eyes. You're like, rawr, rawr, where'd Lisa go? She's yeah. <laughs> she's gone now, and you but tell I think a story. In order to function, well, it's know, in order to function. Yes, that. it's a survival thing, a hundred percent. It's your parasympathetic nervous system. We have this adaptive thing in us, but the problem is, we'll start doing it in the face to in face in the presence of most unpleasant, heavy emotions, as opposed to. Really feeling them, managing them, regulating. We'll just dissociate from them. You have right. to just be careful. It's a yeah. liability. Oh, that's that's so yeah. that's so important to think yeah. about. I appreciate that. And yeah. getting back to exactly what you're talking about, um, one of the reasons why I felt like an imposter until now is that I realized that my bravery or my power actually comes from empathy. Of course. Because I have gone through some of this. So mm-hmm. now when I sit down and talk to my victims or survivors of trauma and mm-hmm. crime, I connect with them and I bond with them through this you know, shared trauma. I have empathy for them. And it's that that I'm armed with when I go after the bad guys. So my courage doesn't come from audacity or I was born brave. It comes from me connecting to other victims and survivors and saying, 
I'm going to use that pain. Yeah, knowing. And I'm going to go after them. It's knowing. The bad it's guy knowing what they that. need. Yeah. You're Rodney in a way for these guys. You're shining the camera on them. There we go. So it's so fascinating what we do as humans with this stuff. And, the, and, that, and that really one of the great joys is when you can find a creative solution to our own narratives. Which is right. what you've done, right? You yeah. pull it all together into this one thing. And I didn't know where your passion for all this came from. I can see it when I see you on the on television. And now it all kind of hooks up for me. It's kind of interesting. That's why I wanted – again, that's why I wanted to write the book because there were questions like, OK, first of all, how did you get from – being a model the way, cheerleader we, to yeah, an we actress. Yeah, we skipped to, all this. Yeah. We've got to like talk about that too. There's like, <laughs> how did you get from there to here? And again, yeah. it wasn't linear. Yeah. It was a crazy path that got me to where I am. But I also wanted to really dive pretty deeply into to you know the power that it takes uh, for a woman to to be on camera in front of millions of people and chase somebody mm. and stand up for somebody and expose wrongdoing. And it, it doesn't come from this, you know, being born brave. It comes from practicing bravery every day and 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 gaining that muscle, gaining strength in the muscle of courage, which I think you can learn over time. Oh, a hundred percent. So so tell me a little bit about that some of that story we're going to learn about the circuitous path that we'll learn about that I learned about from reading the book so I knew about the cheerleading right I don't know didn't know how you got there I didn't know how it ended I didn't know you ended up in Atlanta or something you went there yeah you, I, I was like <laughs> well, tell me tell me that story okay so um I was a Rams cheerleader I made the squad when I was 19 and that back in those days you know over a thousand women tried out they took seven women that first year or so I didn't even know how I got there I didn't make cheerleading in high school and here I was a year later, you know, on the Rams cheerleaders. And so um, after four years of being on that squad and learning better dance technique and, and learning, you know, teamwork and, and, and dealing with women as sisters and finding this sisterhood, um, I had on my final year started dating uh, Hugh Millen, who was the backup quarterback for the Rams. And he got um, picked up via Plan B free agency to the Atlanta Falcons. So we had been very seriously dating for over a year. He went to the Falcons, and I had originally wanted to be an actress. I had taken acting classes for years. I was getting acting roles. but While you were doing the Rams. While trailer. I was doing Rams. And he said, well, I want you to come with me. You know, let's, let's move to Atlanta. I want you to be my live-in girlfriend, and, you know, let's start our life. I'm going to Atlanta. And I at first didn't want to because I wanted to – to be an actress, but you know, I loved this guy and, but I didn't want to go just as his girlfriend. Mm. So he said, okay. And so I almost in a way gave him an ultimatum about, you know, you got to get me the ring. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go as the girlfriend, but I'll go as the fiance. So he got me the ring. I went to Atlanta. Um, he was there for three seasons and I went to the Atlanta Falcons at the time they didn't have a professional cheerleading squad. Uh, they had fired them years before they used to in the seventies and then they got rid of them. So I said, look, um, I, if I'm going to be there, I'm going to work. And so I took my background and my knowledge from being a cheerleader, but also understanding marketing, understanding promotions out in the community, charity work from my dad. I'm going to make this unit kind of ambassadors for the Falcons Genius. where they'll go out in the community. And I think I can get them sponsors so that the team doesn't have to pay for them. 
So I walked in to Tom. Uh, so Carol Breeding and Tommy Nobis. Tommy Nobis was the GM, former player, and Carol Breeding was the uh, community relations director. I walked in with these binders on, you know, how you can have a professional cheerleading squad that makes that's family friendly, makes the the team look great, go out in the community, do charity work, make a little bit of money for the girls, but get it paid for by sponsors. And so they hired me on the spot. I did that. I became the youngest at. at that point i'm 28 or 29 youngest um entertainment director and cheerleader director in the league mm. the only female entertainment director in the league the second year so i'm now hiring um uh, pre-game shows halftime shows national anthem singers post-game bands i'm cutting any of the music that you hear at the stadium it, like a great job. it was an amazing yeah. job i le- i thought it, I, I would do it forever yeah i loved it um but then hugh millen my at the time fiance gets cut so then I have to decide. And now he goes to New England. Oh. So now he's a patriot. And he's like, okay, come with me. And now we've been together several years. We're not married still. I'm still just – now I'm the fiancé. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've now made my life here in Atlanta. I've got this great job. I've got these women that I'm you know, responsible for, my squad. And, and I've got this big – and the, the Olympics are coming. They want me to be on the entertainment committee for wow. the Atlanta Olympics. Oh, my God. I want to stay here. And they're opening the Georgia Dome. And he's like, no, I want you to come with me. You know, it's either me or your job. And so I am in love. So I follow him to New England. And guess what? Told you repeatedly that uh, if, you know, the cost of a medical flight, emergency medical flight, may not be covered fully by your insurance or even at all. With comprehensive coverage, you can still get hit with all kinds of things. Protect your family with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if emergency arises, the expense of air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year and covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home, of course. That is just pennies a day to get that security. And we all know the unexpected can happen, especially when you're traveling. An AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. And for a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you will get up to a $75 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use offer code Drew. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you physicians who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. It's an efficiency. ZocDoc, you can find every specialist. And, of course, ZocDoc's mobile app is easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting a delivery to your house. Why shouldn't it be? Find and review local physicians, local doctors. Read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. You know exactly what's going on. Now, when you walk into the doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who you have selected, who gets what you need. Go to ZocDoc.com, find the doctor that is right for you. Book an appointment in person or remotely. Of course, we still have telehealth. Whatever works for your schedule, ZocDoc is an efficiency to find the right doctor for you. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and it should be your go-to when you need to find and book a quality physician. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Drew, download the ZocDoc app for free, then start your search for a top-rated physician today. Many are available within 24 hours. That is Z-O-C-D-O-C, ZocDoc.com slash Drew. One more time, ZocDoc.com slash Drew. You hear me talk about the Jordan Harbinger show all the time. You know Jordan is a friend of ours. Smart guy, interesting guy, great life experience. He has an intelligent talk podcast. Listen to some of these guests. Ryan Holiday, my friend, the Stoic philosopher. Also also my friend, Dr. Romney Dervasala, talk about how to protect yourself 
from a narcissist. And you just learn so much listening to his podcast. Uh, we, he gets in more recently into the Iranian protests. He, he doesn't really turn back from anything. He brings great guests in. Of course, he brings the best out of them. He's a smart guy. He's well-trained. He speaks multiple languages. He had broad life experience. He's been a captive himself in crazy situations. <clears throat> I just think the most of him and his show, and you should too, it's definitely something you will like. We've been recommending it for quite some time. If you haven't gotten there yet, you should uh, do so now. My favorite so far was with Ian Bremmer, The Power of Crisis to Change the World. And I came out of that feeling kind of positive. So that's the Jordan Harbinger Show. Each episode, fascinating conversation. It is the Jordan Harbinger Show. It, something there that will resonate with you. I There's many things that resonate with me and I enjoy. I think you will too. Search the Jordan Harbinger Show, H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, and Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, you will find the Jordan Harbinger Show. You break something. No. no. They don't have cheerleaders. Oh. So right. I, I bring my binders with me. And I start the squad there for the New England page. So oh I start all over again. I didn't know Start that. a new squad. Three years there. Three Holy different owners shit. in three different years. Same exact model? It's same exact model. Yeah. And it was hugely successful there. And finally, uh, we do break up. And he gets uh, cut and he gets a Parcells cut him. He went off to be a like third string quarterback at the um, Cowboys. But I had the ring, right? I had the ring. And you guys have to read the book because what happens to this ring and what I reveal is so – it's almost embarrassing, but it's one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me. But it's such a good um, lesson in um, in not following men around and in, 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 in actually trying to build your own career and not being well, led around the both, nose by your but heart. you were doing both, though. <laughs> I you, was. At least you weren't I, just I, doing the one. No, I definitely wanted to have a career, but yeah. – um, but at any rate, I, I I like to say that you know those seven years with him taught me a ton of lessons, and uh, finally I learned self perseverance because I had to. I was alone in Boston, but then I got discovered by a radio show guy that realized I knew the language of sports. Mm. So he put me on a TV show on Sports Channel New England called Sports Gals mm. with two other older women, one a print journalist and one a radio journalist. We all knew sports, and I got you know, the the tape in New England, got sent to Los Angeles, and my now agent saw it, and he's like, who's this girl that knows sports? She looks like Cindy Crawford, he said to somebody. She looks like Cindy Crawford, but she knows sports. Let's bring her back home. She she belongs in L.A. So that's how I got back home, and that's how I started sports. Well, I had no yeah. idea about any, any of route. that. Any of that. <laughs> that. To me, I was like reading the book. Where I'm, oh, Jesus. I thought I knew Lisa. So um, where'd you live in New England? Um, we lived in – when I was with him, we yeah. lived in Marina Bay, which is Quincy. And then when we broke up, Florida. I moved to Charlestown, uh, Charlestown, the Navy Yard. It's like an old Navy shipyard that what they that? made into apartments and condos. I mean, if those of you who are not from New England, you, you'd call it Quincy. But if you're in New England, they call it Quincy. Quincy. <laughs> Quincy. I, I've literally had a no conversation. I, I was in college was <laughs> at the uh, living uh, in, in Boston, Cambridge. And uh, I was arguing with this guy about Quincy versus Quincy. Quincy. And he goes, come on, man. It's John Quincy Adams. <laughs> well, of course we're called Quincy. I was like, oh, shit. I, I have no comeback. Oh, <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> they all talk like Ted there. Or the, the Anyway, so where is Charleston? Where, is that up north, like north Manchester? Yes. Yeah, okay. Because I lived in New England for a while. And uh, it's very hard for Southern Californian to live in New England. How, how was that for you? It was. It was – 
traumatic. Yeah, yeah. You know, I went from Southern California to Atlanta. Yeah, which is a nice little break in, but still also it, another it world. It was nothing like <laughs> yeah. Boston. Yeah, no. I, I was like a fish out of water for sure. Yeah. I couldn't wait to get home. And, yeah. and this is definitely where I belong. Now I travel all over the country for yes. my investigations, but I'm always so excited when I see that we are landing at LAX and I see Southern California around yeah. me. I'm like, oh, thank God I'm home. Yeah, I have a similar I, – I like getting out of here because this state is a bit frustrating these days in the city particularly. But but when I come back, I always feel like, oh, yeah, that's why. That's Home. why I'm here. Yeah. I love it here. The last time I saw you actually was in New York. We had steak in, that's uh, right. in Hudson Yards. That's and, right. And I can't remember how long ago that was. Like that was five before – yeah, that, that would – well, obviously it was before COVID. COVID yeah. So I would say like four years ago probably. Jeez, so crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking about you know the three of you who have become good friends of mine. Uh, you and Jillian and Leanne, strangely, I, I did not like. You know, I didn't know when I first met you guys in the nineties I was going to have Leanne and I did a radio show together for a year, and I, I know, got to know yeah. her and her husband very well. And you did radio with, for me with me for a long time. Yeah, KBC. We did. Yeah. Uh, we worked together a lot. I was the fill-in host there. But it was, for you were there a lot for like two years. <laughs> you were or there something. a lot. I was there all the time. But yeah, I got to know Jillian a lot better. Jillian and I had always been friends, but uh, through that experience, we got to know each other a lot better, and we actually spent. Um, New Year's Eve, like Christmas, New Year's Eve together in London, um, rediscovering her family, her some of her adopted family. So um, yeah, Jillian and I got really close. Yeah, you were hanging out time. with her a lot. In fact, I yeah, we're still really great friends, and and um, you know, I absolutely adore her. I, I didn't know that happened around radio. I thought you'd yeah. always been sort of. Uh, we had always been friendly. Yeah, um, but it was, and, and in fact, this was interesting when we were um, kind of. Uh, we knew each other, but we weren't super close when I was on Monday Night Football. And I was um, taking a lot of heat from the critics. And again, Monday Night Football was ABC. She worked for Fox at this point on that morning show with JB. And she got on that morning show on Fox and she defended me. Mm. And so did JB mm. on Fox when I was taking heat on Monday Night Football. And I, I saw that at home and I started crying because mm. I was watching it when it happened in does real she life. Know that? She does. Yeah. yeah. But it, it just profoundly affected me and, and meant so much to me that here's a woman standing up for another woman. And again, that Not didn't happen a lot. Not surprising. Back to me. then, but well, the three um, of you, she would, sure did. And you guys are three very different people politically, personality. You're very different people and had very different paths, all interesting different kinds of you you had to you know there was not a <laughs> there was not a preset path for any of you you guys were you were forging the paths um but i kind of like that that you're all different people <laughs> and that you support each other is important to me well so. you know i i am really excited that i come from a group of i didn't have sisters and i didn't have a mother growing up yeah. so i i lacked i craved female um, bonding and and female role models. That's actually healthy. And it wasn't until I became a Rams cheerleader and all of a sudden I had 36 sisters and they were all a little bit older than I was. And suddenly I learned about how to be a woman through this group of women when I was a teenager. Um, and I, I never forgot that. We're all, we've, decades later, we're all still best friends, all these women from the cheerleading. And I think people, especially men, seem to think that, you know, women are catty when they get together, a bunch of pretty women. These girls, these women on the Rams cheerleaders couldn't have been closer and more supportive. And that's where I really started to think about bonding with women and and this power of a group of women. And it was it was such a great experience for me. There's an interesting liability that comes with the path that you guys had to take too. I, I used to use you on HLN, didn't I? Yeah, also, yeah. you did. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so, 
I had no problem getting. I think I've been on all your shows. I know. I think so too. One point or I wonder, but but I but I, I had no problem getting you booked. But I I came across Leanne again after years and years. I hadn't seen her forever. And I said, "Oh, you'd be great on the show." So I bring I bring Leanne in, and I got pushback on her. Okay, and the pushback was uh, I it wasn't even pushback. It was a very subtle like, "Oh, what's wrong with Drew? What's going on here?" And I come to work the next day, and there's Leanne's calendar or something, her Fredericks of Hollywood calendar, like. Dude, what's wrong with you? We're gonna put. I, I said, don't do that to her. Don't do that to her. That was a thing she did. It was a modeling thing she did. She's not that. I promise you. And I made them book her. And after that, she was on the show. <laughs> and and so th- it bothers me when that history is is ju- becomes a source of judgment or anything. It really troubles me. I was like, that's that. If why would I be recommending her to be a commentator on a show if? If you're – I mean who cares? But that's why I wrote my book Yeah, is that I wanted to take back my narrative yeah. of what people said about me. And when I got hired by yeah. Monday Night Football, the critics mainly on the East Coast that hadn't seen me for 10 years in sports like a lot of the Southern California sports fans had. You know, they are you know Bristol, Connecticut, ESPN and New York kind of center of the universe media. They saw this Southern California woman who was a former cheerleader, former model. I had been in Maxim. They're like, how could you hire her for the biggest job in sports casting? How can she be on the sidelines of Monday Night Football? No, we will not allow it. We're going to diminish her wherever we can. And so every interview I did, everything, uh, everybody that I talked to in the media they said, well, they they handed the sun, you know, the uh, the microphone for Monday Night Football sidelines to a girl who just threw down her pom poms. Um, she's a cheerleader. She's a, a, a lingerie Th- model. This is where other and women they discounted ten this, years of my sports casting. This is where career. other women need to support women. They they cannot feed. That's into why that what stuff. Jillian said yes. was so important right. to me because it was during that point when she stood up and she said, I know this woman. She knows sports. She's been covering sports for a decade. Why are they calling her a cheerleader? Because I had at that point been a cheerleader 15, 20 years before. Mm. But I was still being called a cheerleader in the, you know, in the New York media. So it was it was very frustrating. So one of the reasons I wrote Warrior was to take back my narrative and to say, look, look this was certainly part of my life that I'm proud of. I do not regret having been a cheerleader or having posed for Playboy or having been a model. I don't regret and I'm not diminishing any of that. I would never take one of those moments back. I think that's but important. I want to be able to tell you how those experiences transformed me. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. And, and, and it's it's a historical sweep. People have to understand that this is not just a personal story. This is a personal story in a context where certain opportunities are there, the only ones, and you can turn that then into things that are deeply meaningful. I, I want to ask – we only have like about 10 minutes left or so. I want to ask about the mood disorder. What happened with that? You had a mood dump at one Yeah. Point. So um, at one point, you know, after I'd been fired from Monday Night Football, I still oh, – I didn't realize that led to firing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was fired after one season. And um, it was just devastating to me. I had spent my entire year or my entire career crafting, you know, this this credibility in sports, and it was, you know, completely destroyed. And uh, God, and that even, was before the days of current cancel. Oh culture. yeah, yeah, that's no, sort of the, that's, no. how, that's the old fashioned way of canceling. I'm one of the originals yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting canceled. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in 2003, so I even after I was fired, they didn't let up. They were still writing Who's articles they? about me, the media, mm. you know, columnists, you know, uh, 
radio shock jocks, you know, that I was still the butt of jokes, this stupid girl with big boobs that didn't know sports that got to be on Monday Night Football. That was the narrative. And I fed into that. I bought it. I absorbed it like a sponge until finally I was driving down PCH and I was listening to sports radio, which I shouldn't have been doing. And there was uh, two guys that were reading a column from a Philadelphia Mm. newspaper about me Mm. and how stupid I was and how I should just go off and have 10 kids with a baseball player because that's all I was good for. And I almost drove off the cliff on PCH. I almost drove off the cliff. I was going south. You had a moment, an intention for that moment. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. it had been in my mind for a while. Suicide. I had been thinking about it. I had destroyed my mother's name. I had taken her name. Guerrero, Guerrero, warrior. I had taken her name intentionally to to connect with my heritage and to connect with her memory. Mm. And now I was a laughingstock and all over sports. And I almost drove off that cliff. And instead, I pulled over and I called my dad. Mm. And I told him. And he said, let's talk. So I talked to him for a long time. He encouraged me to get therapy, my own therapist, which I did. But he also said something really empowering to me. He goes, sports is a niche. You're a storyteller. You're a journalist. You are strong. You are your mother's daughter. Maybe you should do news. Maybe there's something else for you besides sports. I not even thought of that, Drew. Mm -hmm. I thought I was supposed to be a sportscaster, and now it was taken away. So who am I without sports? My dad said, do you know there's a whole group of people out there that never watch Monday Night Football? (laughs) The majority of America doesn't even know this happened to you. Go do what you do. You're a storyteller. But I almost killed myself over a job. I look back now, 17 years later, it blows my mind. But it was important for me to write about it because I, I know other people go through experiences like this. Well, and this is going to sound sexist, but I don't mean it to be that way. I don't mean it to be actually empowering, which is that only in recent history – again, your, your book is so much a historical document – do women have the opportunity to be sufficiently invested in their work that their identity gets so tied up in, or, or at least commonly so invested that their identity is so tied up in it? Men get that immediately. We, we just understand what that is. We, because yeah. that's sort of that's been the patriarchy, right? Right. And, yeah. and now you're experiencing it because. Good, because you had a really intense career that you were tied yeah, up in. Yeah, and I just, was, that was what I was known yeah, it was for. Good was news, bad news. Chick. Good, I was the bad. Reporter. Good news yeah. is you. That's what was your identity. You did create this thing. Bad news was you feel like it's all ripped away. You don't have it's an gone. identity, but you do have to kind of adjust and and make do. And then your stories that the next phase. Yeah, now investigative journalism, which is what I was meant to do. Right. You know, awesome. It's you know forty investigative journalism awards later, and you know putting people in prison. You know, there's a guy spending eighty years to life right now for killing a little girl Ugh. based on a cold case that I reopened. Oh my god! So he's now in prison thanks to my work and my crew's work of you know getting justice for Juliet Gertz. So um, Dustin Chauncey's in prison, and so now I know that my work is important. It's impactful. It's meaningful. But the book is kind of. You know, like you said, it's an it's a historical document. It, it is it's a personal memoir in a historical context that people have to think about. It's a love they letter. really should think about. It's really a love letter to a younger me. Mm. You know, I wish I would have been able to look in a crystal ball and see that it was going to work out okay, but I, I obviously couldn't, and I was in despair. But it's a love letter to other people, other women and men that are in despair and that have, you know, faced some of these issues, you know, you're not alone and you can talk about it's it common. and you can read about it and you can get over it. Yeah. You can get through it. 
Yeah, and I think in today's world, more than ever, people need to be able to pick up and adjust and because the economies are changing, the, the workforce is ch- – everything's changing. There's a lot so, of despair and trauma and, and a lot of – insecurity and and who am I and where do I belong? And do I even belong here? Do I even deserve to have well, this then, life, a life? And then COVID pressed everyone's yeah, face to the COVID mirror as it pertains and, to all that stuff. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it, we're living in crazy times. Yes, indeed we are. <laughs> I know, we are I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But, yeah. Um, but there is, you know, we can see this through um, with, with support from each other. Well, I feel like we've done the book justice, and I hope people will go read it. Again, you can pre-order it now. It is Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. Even if you've not known Lisa's work or not been a Lisa fan, which is hard not to be if you know Lisa, I think this is a really interesting book, particularly – I don't know if you have young daughters or your women in your life. They, they, I think they would relate to this very strongly. What else do you want people to know? That, that was the narrative I wanted to push, put out there. I wanted to know all that. I wanted to hear all that. I wanted you to have a chance to say that. But what, what did I miss? I, I, I think we covered it. And, and I think you know, the takeaway from this conversation, at least for me, is that you know, talking about your life, taking back your narrative, um, you are the author of your own book. Right. And and I thought I was writing one book and I ended up writing a very different book through this journey that isn't so much as picking a scab as taking an ice pick to a scar. But it was important for me to do. I'm so glad I did it. And I'm so glad I'm leaving it for anybody that would care to to hear a story about a woman in this position. There are a lot of people talking about – are you aware of how much that issue is sort of discussed now? Yeah. And, and so – and from all different spectrum too, whether it's Ryan Holiday talking about it or Jordan Peterson talking about it or you talking about it, this topic of of being the author of your life yeah. is something that is top of mind right now and I think it's very relevant. Very relevant and you get to write the next chapter, it's not hard, them. Hard for people to you. get that. Hard for people to understand that. And, and to be fair – in, in with the you know the earth you know the ground changing under us all the time these days it feels like it's out of control but you always have choices and you can make good choices so. exactly well it is so great to see you I mean it's always a pleasure to spend time with you I'm, I, the time we spent on the radio together was deeply meaningful for me I enjoyed me doing too. all that I loved and we, it and, we, and I adore you and I I appreciate that you've given me the opportunity to kind of tell my story oh again. don't be silly thank you for telling it and and. I feel like some of this stuff, we interestingly got into it a little bit on the radio back in yeah, the day, sure. but not this, not yeah. this whole arc no. that really has a very relevant sort of quality to it for everyone. So do pick it up. Warrior, my path to being brave. I'm, I'm going to get it for Susan. She'll, she'll oh, God. Yeah, I, 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 please let me know how she likes it. I want her to, to read it and, and reach back out to me. 100%. Uh, for Lisa Grow, number four, Lisa Grow on Instagram. LisaGrow.com is the website. Uh, is there? It's both Twitter and Instagram. Am I missing anything? No, that's it. Oh, Facebook. I'm on Facebook now. As? Lisa Guerrero. Find her there. We'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or 
Drew.com. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good-looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I Usually my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money, Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show.